0: Welcome to Question Period, I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, Shear's exit.
1: I just informed my colleagues in the Conservative Caucus that I will be resigning as the leader of the Conservative Party of
0: Canada. Will Andrew Shear's sudden resignation unite the Conservative Party or splinter it apart? Did he resign because the party paid for his children's private school? And who will take over as leader? Conservative MP Michelle Rempel-Garner. House Leader Candace Bergen and former Deputy Conservative Leader Lisa Raitt join us on the stunning turn of events. Plus, the man who openly stuck the political knife into sheer, Corey tonight, and former Harper Campaign Director Jenny Burn are here to tell us what happens now. And then, NAFTA veto? <laughs>
2: I have assured uh, both the
1: President of the United States and the President of Mexico uh, personally that we will proceed with ratification as quickly as
3: we can.
0: Will the opposition parties vote for the new NAFTA agreement or try to hold it up? NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joins us on that and a lot more. And then Trump impeachment. They're impeaching me. You know why? Because they want to win an election and that's the only way they can do it. U.S. President Donald Trump is facing obstruction and abuse of power charges. Could this lead to his impeachment or will Republicans back him up? Former Republican speechwriter David Frum joins the Scrum. This is Question Period in the midst of a wild week in politics. Let's go get some answers. So after the election, Andrew Scheer was already the walking wounded. But with an open revolt against his leadership, Mr. Scheer has finally surrendered, announcing his resignation. But why now? Was it the story that he'd used Conservative Party money to send his kids to private religious schools? Did the more progressive arm of the party push him out over issues like same-sex marriage? Or was he just the victim of his own inability to meet the high expectations that he set? And now the big challenge. Can a new leader, whomever that will be, unite an increasingly divided base? Let's find out. Joining me now are Alberta Conservative MP, Michelle Rempel-Garner, Conservative House Leader, Candace Bergen, and former Conservative Deputy Leader and CTV political analyst, Lisa Raitt. Great to have all of you here. Uh, Look, I just gotta start with both for all three of you. I know Lisa Raitt's commented, but Michelle uh, Rempel-Garner, people keep mentioning you as a possible leadership contender now that mister Shear Scheer's gone. Let's go, are you considering it?
4: Well, I know that they're mentioning Lisa's name and Candace's name. And I think it says a lot about our party that we have all of these women that are qualified to run. I hope none of us self-deselect and we take time to reflect on what visions are and move forward from there. But um, So you're
0: saying you're considering it. I'm just trying to cut no, through the I political like, sphere. No,
4: look, listen, Evan, we are you know, just a, a few days from right. a major change in our yeah. party. And, I mean, I think it's a little early to speculate but I I, I it think out. it's great that the women on these panels are all contenders and nobody should be self deselecting at this okay point.
0: okay so okay so you're thinking about it yeah, I, people I, are I, talking about you as a potential leadership candidate as well is that possible well
5: I think Michelle's exactly right and I think the fact is people like like Lisa Michelle myself uh, we've shown leadership not only in the party like it literally in terms of being at the front bench but we've shown leadership uh, in a lot of ways and for a lot of years so um, I'm glad that we're being thought about and considered yeah. and talked about but it is very very early to be but you're not, considering ruling, you're not ruling it out though. well i I, I feel i'm i'm already i'm the house leader i feel like i am uh, a leader uh, in the party and so i think it would be it, it's way too soon to start really okay. thinking about it seriously
0: uh lisa you and i have already had, had a, a talk earlier this week you said you've ruled it out your yeah. name keeps coming up are you reconsidering
6: i'm out Please. I really appreciate what Candace and Michelle had to say but uh, it's very different living on the outside of the of the parliamentary precinct than it is living on the inside of the parliamentary precinct and I have really good clarity on, on this go around and this is not my time so I'm going to observe from the sidelines, comment frequently and wish everybody um, really great luck in okay. whatever they're going to be making decisions okay. on. Let's go
0: back into what happened. It was pretty sudden Michelle Rempel. Um, uh, what finally pushed Mr. Shear over the edge? Was it this story about the par- uh, private school? Was he a victim of high expectations he couldn't ma- meet? Why did he have to resign?
4: Uh, you know, he- here's the reality. He's resigned. Uh, he gave a speech in the House on that. He laid out his his explanation for it and now we move forward right i mean um picking over that is not going to help us hold the government to account and where i think the discussion that we all want to have is going to be is in the leadership race what are the qualities of somebody that we want to lead the party what are the big ideas that we want to focus on and you know i i am glad that uh we have some stability in terms of him staying on as an in- interim leader he was a Speaker of the House, and because while we have this leadership going on, we simultaneously have to hold the government to account, and... Um I think we're in a good place. But so why after keep this him week. on as
0: interim leader? Because there are a lot of people didn't want him after this, the the private school story. Oh. Uh, Ron Ambrose did such a great job turning the channel after Stephen Harper. Why keep him on as interim? Well, leader?
5: actually, first of all, he isn't interim leader. He is leader. Okay, so leader. is re- right, he is right. resigning once the party chooses a new but leader. The caucus could so, have put
0: in an interim
5: leader. Uh, I don't. We actually don't believe know. that's the way no. the rules stated it. So the, we we no. believe that the rules stated that he is leader until the party chooses right. a new leader. And we are very, Correct. very happy with that. Uh, he's uh, done a very good job, not only in question period, but in terms of keeping the party united, uh, move, raising a lot of money for us. And we've got a very short time right now before, and as a new leader is chosen, so none of us were interested in some interim leadership race. We wanted Andrew to continue uh, on as leader.
0: Lisa, does the party now, I mean, you didn't win your seat, and you and I have spoken saying Andrew Shearer certainly didn't help you do this. Does the party now have to recalibrate on some final Fundamental issues like uh, social conservative issues, same-sex marriage, that many believe really hurt Andrew Shear in places like Ontario.
6: I think what the party's about to go through is a fantastic leadership race where all kinds of different platforms will be put forward and the membership's going to decide what direction they want to go in. I'm looking for different qualities though. I want to look for somebody who's got a great sales opportunity. I want to see somebody who can sell whatever vision we come up with and I want to see somebody as well who has the ability to deal with accusations that are not factual and make sure that they have a strategy to ensure that these accusations stop and that's what I'm looking for those two kinds of communication skills in the next leadership round.
0: Uh, Michelle Rambo, you were outspoken about the Mm. fact that that Andrew Scheer you thought was offside on same-sex marriage just wasn't strong enough on that stuff does the party have to kind of recalibrate on some fundamental issues?
4: Look um, our party is already based on the principle that we support the equality of opportunity of all Canadians. For me, I am looking for somebody who um, will champion the rights of everybody in, Can- in Canada enthusiastically, and that includes members of the LGBT community. Uh, we are the official opposition. Uh, we have a, 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 right now, I hope we form government sometime in the future, but we have an obligation to hold the government to the account for failures to that community, and that it requires a leader who is going to, to to get up on issues like the blood ban or, you know, other things that are facing the community right mm-hmm. now. So we have the capacity to do that, and I think our next leader needs to reflect that very strongly. So
0: where does it leave social conservatives then, Candace? I,
5: I think there absolutely is room for social conservatives yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think whatever your belief is, and, and I absolutely agree with uh, with Michelle, I think our party has gone past and supports equal marriage, but we and we all believe not only in equality of marriage and the, uh, the value of it, but we want Canadians, whether they are in same-sex marriages or heterosexual relationships, to be in loving, healthy, strong relationships in a country where their prime minister and their government supports them and protects them and, and to put it frankly, is happy for them and wants them to uh, yeah. to continue in that. Well, so I think you can be a social conservative and believe that and say that.
0: All right, well, that proved yeah. more difficult for Andrew Shearer. What about on climate, Lisa, right? That was the other thing. Two-thirds of Canadians voted for parties that had a price on carbon not just a climate plan does your party have to change that
6: well i think our party has to ensure that when they're talking about climate that they're acknowledging the fact that we do have plans in place that they're going to work, that the reduction of the emissions is the goal of society in general. And how you get to it is gonna be something that the party is going to have to communicate, and it's going to have to set out. Um, I know that we've got some great expertise within the party who's gonna be able to put together a platform that's gonna make sense. And I expect, just like it happened in my election in Milton, it's going to turn out to be a debate on climate during the leadership race that's going to be happening in the coming weeks. And people are going to be looking at that. Right. And I think the party does have to think about making sure that they highlight those issues.
0: Okay, real quick, because i got a minute. How soon does all this have to happen? I'm, I'm wondering about the timelines because, man, it's a minority government. You guys got to get your ducks in order. So how fast does a leadership race have to happen? When does a new leader have to be selected by
5: Well, I've been thinking about this actually over the last couple of hours. I really hope it happens very soon. I hope that we have a leader in place by the summer.
0: By the summer,
4: that, that would be my, my wish. I, By the yeah. summer,
0: so there's supposed to I'm be a you leadership uh, yeah, you know, there's, convention there's, in April. Is that too soon, Michelle? Uh, the
4: reality is, is we have a governing body, the National Council, right. which will meet to decide the timeline. Uh, I know that they've already been discussing this and uh, have been receiving input from a lot of different people. But um, mm-hmm. I would say yes. We, we there's urgency, but we also I would I would, uh, I would uh, say this note of caution we need to have a big discussion about ideas i don't want this to be a contest about personality like i really want to see for me personally this be a discussion about who we are as a party in terms of policy uh who's best who best can inv- uh, sell that i guess going forward and who embodies that and i just want to make sure that there's enough time
0: okay uh, before i get a press when are you going to make your decision on that you too. Oh, Come heaven. on. I've got to get on. I've got to do, do some ready?
4: Christmas
5: shopping. That's what I right <laughs> now I gotta figure out what am what I buying no, the new brand to to baby.
4: Declares declared yeah. probably in the next couple months though, right? You got I'll say this. You're asking us about timeline? We're not working on your timeline. So uh-huh. stay tuned. Uh huh. Yep. Uh-huh. I like it. Gee, that's, real, that's breaking <laughs> news.
0: They're not working on the journalist timeline. You got told. Shocking.
4: All right. Well uh, done, uh, Evan. done. Lisa
0: Rate, Candice Bergen and Michelle Rempel garner That's great. Uh we'll figure out the timelines coming up. we go behind the scenes on the fight to take down. And Andrew Scheer. Two of Shear's most outspoken opponents, Corey Tanaik and Jenny Byrne, join us next. Is the fight over and what comes next? We continue the conversation next, right here on Question Period. stay with us.
7: Our Conservative team
1: is always stronger when we are united. When Fiscal Conservatives, Red Tories, Social Conservatives, Libertarians, Quebec Nationalists, Conservatives in rural Canada and urban Canada, in the East and West come together great things happen
0: the new murder mystery movie knives out starring daniel craig is excellent i should say but the canadian political version starring andrew Scheer, has been a lot more dramatic now look the knives have been out for andrew Scheer since he failed to win the majority government he promised during the election but what was the fatal blow why did he resign was it his refusal to change his stand on lgbtq issues which peter mckay called a stinking albatross around his neck Was it the story that the Conservative Party paid for his kids' private school education? And what happens now? Let's go inside how Andrew Shear lost his leadership with two people who have been Some of his most outspoken opponents in this, Uh, Corey Tonight, the former director of communication to Stephen Harper. He led the charge to oust Mr. Shear. and Jenny Byrne is the former campaign director to Stephen Harper. She'd also called for him to step aside. Great to have both of you here. Uh, Corey, i got to start with you, because you had told us on this program two weeks ago, Andrew Shear will not make it to Christmas as leader. There was a lot of doubt about that. What was the straw that broke the camel's back?
8: Well, I think there, there are a few straws uh, that, that put him there. I, I think one was that just was not uh, any enthusiasm or support. Uh, uh, you, you talk to members of caucus and for all of the, uh, the uh, uh, handful of people who were in, uh, supportive of his leadership, there was a whole lot of deafening silence as well. Uh, so I, I just don't think there was enthusiasm there. I think that's a big part of it. Um, but then I think the story about uh, the private schooling being paid for by the party. And the, I think par-
0: the party told me that had no impact on his decision to resign. Do you buy that?
8: No, not at all.
0: Right? You think that's?
8: Uh, look, uh, it obviously had an impact, and uh, but uh, irrespective of what the reasons are, uh, we got to the right conclusion, and uh, and the conclusion is that it's time for us to have a uh, open leadership race which will allow us to have uh, some of the the conversations that need to be had around which direction the party should go, uh, what policies and ideas should we put in the window. uh uh, all, all the manner of things that you debate and flesh out during a leadership race, we can move on to that, and that's that's a productive and forward-looking conversation.
0: Jenny, what about you? I mean, how damaging was this this story that emerged? It's not illegal. Uh, you know, lots of party leaders in the past have accepted these things, but this was seemed to be unjustifiable. How how damaging was the story that party funds were used to pay for his kids' school education, or was there something else?
7: No, I think it was the proverbial straw that, that broke the uh, camel's back in terms of uh, his decision whether to uh, to stay on uh, to the convention uh, or not but I agree with Co- I agree with Corey that uh, I think the best thing for the party now is uh, is the the process for a leadership convention a leadership race can uh, can be started the National Council can meet and set out a timeline for uh, uh, for this race and uh, the party's not going to be spending the next five months uh, uh, fighting uh, fighting with itself uh, in terms of uh, in terms of Andrews uh, Andrews leadership and I think that's uh that's a good thing
0: but he's still the leader you had said to me Corey that you didn't want him to stay on even as the leader until the next leader you wanted an interim leader the party voted unanimously to do it is that is that going to help or hurt the party
8: well I'm not sure how unanimous that was but <clears throat> but I, I think oh interesting uh,
0: you, you think that was more I, divided I, than we look, think Look, I,
8: I think it's ultimately caucus's decision uh, around that and clearly they made a choice uh, I've Never seen anything in caucus unanimous. That's why I'm going to be really okay. ske- skeptical about that. Caucus can't unanimously agree uh, whether it's uh, this guy's blue. Um, but uh, look, uh, I, I think it's it's problematic because if you look at other parties that have, have gone that approach, like for instance NDP deciding to keep Tom Mulcair on, he's a very capable guy and uh, all, all sorts of things. But it, it absolutely um, hurts your ability to raise money for the party. Uh, and I think because some of the scandals around uh, Andrew on the expense side of things, it will undermine his ability to leave an effective opposition in the House. Uh, and. Uh, uh so I, I, I don't agree with that direction, but uh, ultimately uh, caucus uh, decided to go that direction. So that's a direction So what do they have
0: to learn from this, Jenny? I, I mean, you and Corey were talking about the party's got to change. you got to learn lessons from this. Does it have to shut the door on social conservative uh, issues the way Stephen Harper did, the way Andrew Shear could not? What, what does it have to recalibrate now?
7: Well, I think that the great thing about the Conservative Party is we have a broad coalition of of supporters uh, uh, across the country. We have social conservatives, fiscal conservatives, democratic uh, uh, reformers. You've got some populists uh, that were the old reformers uh, that are near and dear uh, to my heart. And I think that at the end of the day, uh, the party moving forward, and this will be discussed in the leadership race, I assume very fulsome, uh, is a way that uh, that those voices all can be heard uh, in the party and work together. Because at the end of the day, uh, the, the, folk, the goal of a political party is to elect a leader, develop policies uh, that appeal to a broad range of Canadians, uh, fight an election on that, uh, get elected and implement those policies. Okay, but and what I mean does that, that mean? That will be the discussion.
0: I mean, I get that, Corey. You've got to do that. But, you know, look, Stephen Harper stitched together it was a remarkable feat to stitch together the coalition. Big parties are big coalitions, but they can fracture. You guys live through the fracture of the Reform Party. Uh, what does this party have to do? What are the lessons learned to get back relevance in Ontario, to get back relevance in Quebec, where Andrew Scheer whiffed the ball?
8: Well, there are many different ways to get to the same destination. Uh, so, for instance, if you're looking at uh, Doug Ford, he was able to win a substantial number of seats in the 416. He was able to dominate the larger GTA. Um, uh, and his approach to doing that uh, stylistically, uh, you know, in terms of the policies he brought forward would, would be very different than, than perhaps a federal candidate might, right? There, there more than, There's more than one way to appeal to people. So it really is going to depend on uh, on the individual candidates and what their appeal is. Uh, uh, but, I mean, is it
0: the Peter McKay moment? Is it one of those moments? <coughs> he made the deal with Stephen Harper. That's the progress. Is it? Are the party going to say, okay, uh, let's swing from the west back to the east?
8: Well, I, I just don't think the party uh, is divided in those kinds of ways. Like, uh, uh, you know, when you when you go and do a focus group or you right. look at. at uh, issues and you do one in Halifax. It's not. It's it's actually n- not that different than what you see other places in terms of the complexion of the party and what they're looking for. Uh, ultimately, they want somebody who can win. Uh, they want somebody who can speak to the you yeah. know the aspirations that they have. You know whether it's around the economy, uh, whether it's around uh, issues related to security. Uh, right. They're, 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 the, the things that will bring the party together are, are not, there isn't like a group of people who are, we're red Tories and we live in, I don't know, Nova Scotia. Like, right. it just it just isn't like that.
0: Uh, Jenny, last word to you. What's the biggest challenge now? Like, like just in terms of timelines, As a minority government, you got to get this done quickly. What's the big challenge first on the technical side and then on the policy side to reunite and reinvigorate a party that can be relevant?
7: Well, I think that unlike the last leadership race, uh, it's going to have to be quicker. We're in a minority situation, so a 12 to 14 month uh, leadership race will not uh, is not responsible. Uh, I do think that Justin Trudeau remains to be in a very strong minority position, so uh, uh, he'll he'll ultimately, I believe, decide when the next uh, election is going to be. I agree with Corey that where what the members are going to be looking at. Uh, for this leadership race is winability, I think there was a vast majority of our members who uh, who felt that Justin Trudeau was going to be a one-term uh, a one-term prime minister uh, because of just the visceral reaction that he can have uh, have with conservatives. And I think that what they're going to be looking for uh, during this leadership race, uh, in terms of policy, in terms of comportment, in terms of who the candidates are, is who is going to be best poised to win that uh, win the next election against Justin Trudeau, be it next fall, be it uh in two years or be it in 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 four years
0: wow uh, it's going to be a fascinating race i i agree it's got to be under i think what eight months you can't you can't do anything uh too, too short that.
8: isn't good either too
0: short's not good but it's got to be just all right Corey tonight and jenny burn i guess you guys aren't running but uh we'll find it out soon enough <laughs> coming <No>. up <laughs> The federal government has cleared another uh, NAFTA hurdle, getting the U.S. Democrats on side. But do they have the support of the opposition parties? Can they say no? NDP leader Jagmeet Singh joins us next. Will he try to stop the NAFTA train? Let's find out next on Question Period.
7: When this agreement is enacted, NAFTA will not only be preserved; it will be updated, improved and modernized for the 21st century.
0: So the new NAFTA deal will be a key political showdown. The Liberals need the support of other parties, but will they vote against it? and block the long road to ratification. Now, the NDP and the Conservatives have already said they're not just going to rubber stamp it. They've got to look at the new deal. But is there a political cost to saying no? Let's find out. Joining me now to talk about that and lots more is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Good to have you back. Good to be back. All right, let's just start with this. Um, Will you be voting to ratify the new NAFTA?
9: We have not made a decision on that yet. A couple of things that I wanted to see... First off, I said there were some positive signs. I wanted to confirm them. So I've looked at the text. I had a briefing. And the things that we've been pushing for in the past, things that we were deeply concerned about, the lack of real protection for workers, the environment, and the risk of medication prices going up, those seem to have have been dealt with, which is a positive sign. And I've got to acknowledge at this point, it wasn't that the Liberal government or the Prime Minister dealt with this. They basically gambled on the hope that maybe the Democrats would do it. And so... It should never be that our trade deals are made better by American politicians or other politicians from other countries hoping that they're gonna improve it for our own workers. What I would expect is the Canadian government, the Liberal Party in this case, and the Prime Minister do their work to always seek to improve the bill and don't rush to ratify right, something but, but to that could fair, have been improved did, on.
0: To be fair, and I spoke to Jerry Dyes, the head of the largest private sector union in the country, Unifor. He said this is a better deal than NAFTA. It's significantly better for the auto workers. Uh, he's he said, look, there's no and this guy held his nose, Jerry Dyes, and said, I got to say, Donald Trump has struck a better deal. Now it was the Democrats and the Mexicans and the Canadians all working together, but. He says it's a better deal than the former NAFTA. Is that good enough for you?
9: Well, it's certainly improved on when initially it was brought forward with those problems around the protection for workers and the environment and the cost of medication going up. My concern is this. I still know that there is some concerns being raised about the impact to the aluminum sector. I want to understand that and speak with stakeholders on that part. I want to make sure that the deal is one that actually benefits Canadian workers. And what I'm not worried about is that whether it'll help out the multinationals, because that seems to be always to be the case that the richest corporations say the deal is good, sign it. But I want to make sure that the impacts are actually good for the workers, and that's not always been the case. Many deals where the top industry execs say it's great, and then we see job losses. So I really want to make sure this deal but is one that supports good the, okay. workers.
0: All right, let, let me get to Andrew Shear. A lot of people are a bit baffled by this, but Mr. Singh. This guy won more seats. He's the official opposition. He won the popular vote and he's out of a job. You lost seats. You've lost half seats since 2015 to 2019. The NDP have lost half their seats got wiped out in Quebec. You're secure in your job. Have there been any questions about your leadership now as Andrew Scheer's lost his?
9: Well, there hasn't been and the reason is is that the campaign that we ran was one that New Democrats were really proud of. Canadians were really proud of. And I don't I mean People point to my performance in debates or in, in, in some of the announcements and moments, and I don't, I don't really focus on that. I think the reason why the campaign went well is because every opportunity we had as a team to take the stage or to speak to media or to respond to an issue, we tried to make it about people and about what people are going through. their struggles but and fears. So right.
0: I get that, but, I mean, gravity doesn't fall upwards. I mean, you, you lost seats. You went from third place to fourth place. I mean, on paper, that's all true. There's a lot of positive energy around it. But the results weren't good. So no questions about the, the hard reality that your trajectory was a downward one, not an upward one. No questions about your leadership
9: no, the, the, or your tactics? The, the base and the membership are really confident and, and supportive that we ran a campaign, which is something that people can be really proud of. In terms of the actual results, if you look at what people have told us, is that when you look at the campaign that New Democrats ran, it was one that spoke to people, cared about them. And we didn't get the result we wanted. I'm not satisfied with the result. I want to make sure we win more. And more importantly, I want to make sure that we form government so we can deliver the changes that people need. I'm
0: just figuring out the progressive side. Look at what happened in the UK under Jeremy Corbyn. Labour just got wiped out by Conservatives. Your party went down significantly. You you say you ran a good campaign, but it doesn't resonate. Does all that make you want to recalibrate? Like, do you have a postmortem to say... What happened in Quebec? Why are we happy with what we're doing, but we're clearly not connected?
9: Well, there are certain things that happened. There was a, a pretty significant block wave, and sometimes waves happen and it's hard to, to fight those type of waves. We know that the fear-based voting really worked well in, in Ontario. People are really afraid of Conservatives. They've cut services and hurt families. So the fear that was pushed in the last week that Don't vote for, vote out of fear, vote because you're afraid of the Conservatives, really was compelling. And we also know some exit polling um, at the end of the election showed that about a third of Canadians, 33% of people, changed their vote in the last week and even up to the last moment when they were in the polling booth because of that Fear-based voting—that that message was pretty That's powerful. That's always
0: been there, you know. The strategic vote. Uh, the Liberals always play that card. You know that.
9: Don't vote for the NDP.
0: My goodness, you're going to get this this axe and the boogeyman. I think card. it's particularly but why effective. You, why couldn't you guys fight that? Because because uh, other leaders have fought that. That's the reality of the business you're in. What well, do you have to change? to get back support.
9: Well, I think one of the things that was really compelling about that fear-based argument was that the Conservatives in Ontario are really scary and people were really afraid of, of the cuts that could happen. We've got to show folks that they don't have to settle for less. And I think that was the, the message that worked. The Liberals scared people into settling for less. I want people to dream big. I think people deserve a lot more. I think we can... Fight the climate crisis and create good jobs. I think we can make sure young people have a brighter future. I think we can invest in our healthcare and make sure it's There's strong. No change in message, then? So you're just going to keep plugging away? Well, I think that the message we saw was effective. We just have to make sure we get out to more people. Get get that that concept out to more people. That you know you can. You deserve better. You don't deserve to settle for less. You can dream big, and we're here to make those dreams happen.
0: All right, well, i got to leave it there. Good to see you again. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Pleasure. All right, uh, coming up on the program, the Conservative leader went over the, well, the sheer cliff and resigned, but what are the challenges ahead for that party, and who are the front runners to be the next leader? The Scrum is back, and our special guest is former NDP leader Tom Mulcair. Stay right here.
1: alongside my friends in the conservative caucus we've accomplished a lot on both the government and opposition side of the benches and most importantly we've kept our party united and
6: strong here here
0: United and strong? Well, that remains to be seen, even though Conservatives did vote unanimously to keep Andrew Scheer on as their leader until the leadership race, there are real concerns about what happens next. Who will unite the Conservative Party, or will it splinter? Who are the front runners for the job? Is it Ronna Ambrose, Peter McKay, Pierre Polyevre? Who will it be? It will be a crowded field. That's for sure. To break all this down, the scrum is here on a great week. Tony McCharles, senior reporter for the Toronto Stars, here. Joy Snape, your CTV's Ottawa bureau chief, is here. Craig Oliver, CTV's chief political commentator, is here, and our special guest this round is the man who is no stranger to these leadership issues. Former NDP leader and current CTV political commentator, Tom Mulcair. Well get enough politics this week everybody Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> now I have to deal in this <laughs> time tumult- i gotta got start with you you've been through these are very difficult moments for any political leaders take us behind the scenes what these decisions take and your view on why mister Shear decided to jump
2: i think that one of the things that pushed him uh... was knowing that there was a leak coming from the party about expenses when he moved his kids from regina to ottawa and the expenses for the schools I. I have to say that I have a great deal of empathy uh, for him and his wife, Jill, and uh, their kids. They're going through a lot right now. You know, he pulled off a great election result. He got more seats than anybody else in an opposition any any time in Canadian history. He lowered the Liberals from majority to minority, and he got more votes than the Liberals. And yet uh, he set expectations so high, and the attacks were coming nonstop, like Peter McKay saying he had an empty net and a breakaway, and he couldn't even score. So... He knew that the knives were out for him, and it just became a strategic decision whether he was pushed or whether he left and he decided to leave, especially knowing that there was going to be that sort of internal stuff coming out against him. It showed that there were people in the, inside the party organizing against him. I
10: think, more I, think, uh, I think what the school debate did is it broke his spirit. Uh, took the fight out of him Uh, you can argue about the funding but the fact is a lot of people who contribute to the conservative party most of them in fact are given 100 200 bucks a year and they're giving it to the party to fight campaigns with they weren't told that they were paying to put his kids in a high-end school which none of them can afford and i think a lot of them were very genuinely upset to find out about it and i think he was not ready to take them on
11: it may have been the straw that broke the proverbial camels back mm-hmm. in this case but i think that the real uh, challenge for mr sheer was the um, pending results of the internal review for the party that john beard was conducting right. and it found mm-hmm. from coast to coast a disastrous campaign bad communications, uh, poor performance by the leader, poor communications at the centre, from top to bottom, policy challenges, deliverable they had trouble delivering uh, a winning platform. And that's the greatest sin. And that's, I think, in the end, what was going to drive And them by out. the
0: way, that report's not even out, but the leaks were so bad, they'd asked in that report, do you think Andrew Scheer can win again? And the answer, now we've that all heard, is, was no. Isn't
3: that, isn't that the, the, the really big sin? His sin is, the, is that he is not a winner, Basically, and they concluded that after that campaign, and uh, and and the world becomes a very cruel place for a man like Andrew Shear. And I think that the school, the whole school issue, which is a tiny little whiff of a scandal, seriously, uh, donors don't know where that money goes. It has often gone to leaders for their own personal expenses. And I do think, like Craig, that, yeah, that would break a spirit. In other words, that was below the belt. Even even in the cynical world of journalism, I found that that one was a little bit below the belt. But
10: he leaves behind him a wounded party, a party which now has to risk the cost basically dumping, abandoning, use whatever your word, word you want, they they're faith based hardcore. They're gonna have to get rid of those people and they take a big chance in doing it to move on to a more urban Uh, multicultural Canada. But
3: they knew who they were voting for. This is not a surprise. They knew they were voting for someone who is very socially conservative. So the big surprise, but the big surprise, the, the conservatives being surprised by these stands, I find that a little bit rich. So what do they have to do, Tom? I mean, do they have
0: to start recalibrating on social conservative issues, on climate issues? Is this a moment that could refragment the Conservative Party into the pre-Harper days? Or is there, you know, how do they reunite it and become relevant again in places like Ontario and Quebec?
2: Well, Evan, I would dare say that your remark and that of Craig a moment ago, showing that there are that many different facets of the current Conservative Party, reminds people that even though he ruled with an iron fist, Stephen Harper was pretty good at keeping all those disparate elements together and people tended to underestimate it. Mr. Shear underestimated it. He knew he was talking to that part of the base, but at the same time, you know, who doesn't have a friend or a relative who's been discriminated against or bullied because they happen to be gay or lesbian? Everybody's understood in Canada that we've moved beyond the old prejudices of the past, and yet he refused to show openness and understanding of that. But and he wanted to be the prime minister of all Canadians. So these big social issues were going to hobble him, no question, but can they go to somebody who's more pro- progressive? You could think of Somebody like John Baird, who's a brilliant, experienced politician, both provincially and federally, fluently bilingual, he might be the type of person who could bring some of those elements together because he was very confident and very capable when he was with Mr. Harper's government.
11: I think that, uh, you know, before Craig called it a wounded party, uh, look, they've got a big um, challenge ahead of them. But I think that nobody should underestimate the ability of a strong leader to pull that party together as a strong political force and a good alternative to the Trudeau Liberals, which by the time the Next election comes around, which could be two, three years. It's a pretty stable minority, as we've all said. then maybe if they are a cohesive unit, they'll look pretty good to voters. Uh, it, you know, so I don't think anyone should at this point count them out. So right? okay, oh, let yeah. me just Absolutely. stay with. Hold on, let Absolutely. me stay with Tonda.
0: Okay, who? Let's do the thing. The okay, thing we yeah. all want to do. I know you all want to get some analysis, okay. candidate speculation. Who do you think are the front My, runners? Look,
11: I gave. A, I I, just, I wrote a list this weekend okay, about, about ten or twelve. Do you okay. want? Do you want? Well, the, just give us uh, the top three. The top three: Peter McKay, uh Erin O'Toole, Ronna Ambrose, if she could be persuaded to come in. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to. Throw in the mix Michael Fortier, uh, a Quebecer, former, yeah, former, former, cabinet, former minister. cabinet minister, and someone who is fluently bilingual and may be able to cross the Ontario Quebec divide.
10: Former very senator well. as well.
0: Go ahead. Well, uh,
10: look, I think everybody in the party now is waiting on bated breath for Ron Ambrose right, to give yes. a definitive no or even a non definitive maybe. Right. Uh, and when you've got a guy like Brad Wall, A really sensible guy, widely admired in the Conservative Party, where the party could go if he had French, but he doesn't. Uh, He's coming out and saying, I want to see her on the list. I hope she does.
0: So there's, so there's Ronna Ambrose, there's Peter McKay, there's Pierre Polievra, who's the finance critic people talk about. Uh, we just have Candace I wouldn't Candace put him
11: in the top tier. You no, asked for the oh, top, oh, top tier, tier. candidates. Okay, that's, that's so, fair. He may run.
3: Who else? i Lisa Raiden there. She said no, though. No, I know she, she said, no, <coughs> no, said, know she said no. And I know she said absolutely no. But don't they all say no at first anyway? Let's see. But I think that she has the profile and the good narrative. And perhaps a woman... For this party, who has been, you know, for the last two years so socially conservative, would probably be a unifying force. Why not let them be the first? Anyone, just let me. Lisa Raid
2: and Ronna Ambrose would be amazing candidates. Mm -hmm. They both have a great deal of difficulty with French, and you have 78 seats in Quebec, so they both have to be as determined as Stephen Harper was. He used to work one hour a day on his French, and his French was pretty darn good by the end of that Mm -hmm. exercise. And I mentioned John Baird before. I would not count him out. He's got an incredible base across country. He's the one who just did the review that we referenced. He knows the party like no one. He brokered the deal with Doug Ford's Queen's Park to shut them down during the federal election. He's respected and he's experienced. I would not count John Baird out. Who
0: okay, last question. Who is ju- who are the Liberals most afraid of Tonda?
11: Ron Ambrose. Yeah. Definitely. Ron Ambrose? Ron Ambrose. Is, is that in
0: widely agreement? If I her think French so. gets, if her, and her, her, I, hear her, is, her be, no, no, I hear her French is better. I tell you, I hear her French it's, is getting it's better. A
3: for effort. All
0: right, I got to leave it there. Tom Walker, great to have you here, <laughs> sir, giving us that uh, insight. I really appreciate it. The rest of the scrum will stick around. Gosh, that is fun to do, though. Uh, Coming up, Canada in the crosshairs. Will Canada hold up the new NAFTA deal, and will Donald Trump really be impeached? Former Republican presidential speechwriter and best-selling author David Frum joins us Scrum next. Stay right here with Question Period.
9: The House Committee on the Judiciary is
10: introducing two articles of impeachment charging the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, with committing high crimes and misdemeanors.
0: All right, look, we can't avoid the historic impeachment process going on in the U.S. President Donald Trump has been charged with abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, charges that could lead to his impeachment. Democrats say Mr. Trump betrayed the nation when the president withheld military aid funding to Ukraine and asked the country to investigate his political rivals, including Democratic presidential hopeful Joe Biden. Will Trump be impeached? And how does Trudeau navigate the increasingly hostile relationship with the president who allegedly said this week that Trudeau is all fluff? has no smarts, and lacks toughness. Things are going well. Let's bring back the Scrum and find out. Uh, Tony McCharles is back. Joyce Napier is back. Craig Oliver is back, of course. And our special guest this round is the former speechwriter for U.S. President George W. Bush, the author of Trumpocracy, The Corruption of the American Republic, David Frum. Uh, Great to have you join the Scrum, David. Uh, Let's just quickly walk through this, because we've got a lot to get through. The Democrats have control of the House of Representatives. Is it safe to say they'll vote to impeach Trump, and then what happens?
1: Um, It looks very much like an impeachment vote is coming. At that point, it goes to the Senate. And Senate Leader Mitch McConnell has told us what happens, which is he's going to not do any kind of process at all. Right now, a lot of people feel that the process is backfiring against Democrats because impeachment is such a big step. But once it goes to the Senate and and the Republicans make clear that they do not intend to give this any show of seriousness at all, they don't intend to take any cognizance of the charges of interference in the 2020 election, then uh, the shoe's on the other foot, and then it begins to take a price from Republicans.
0: Uh, Craig, you're reported in Washington for a long time. Uh, this is, this, is, and it's an historic thing. I don't think the Senate is going to actually impeach no. him, but what, does this hurt, help Trump or hurt the Democrats or vice versa? Uh,
10: I, I don't know how it can help Trump. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, he's not better off to get the trade deal with Canada and to get the trade deal with the Chinese uh and okay so the the republicans won't believe any of this anyway so overall if you can get these trade deals you can go into a campaign and say look at, I achieved all the things I said I was going to achieve uh I've solved a lot of problems on trade uh, which are going to employ a lot of americans uh, this guy canadians are all hoping oh they might get rid of him they could do worse than they might and you you reported there look
0: i mean the democrats say oh we're taking credit for the new nafta deal but trump's like look it's my deal. I, I won that. Do they impeach a guy who they just supported on the biggest trade deal in, in,
3: for the United States? And, and plus, he's saying that his numbers are now through the roof. Uh, that's what he said today, on Friday, that uh, his um, numbers are going up and he's very popular and everything is wonderful and fine. Uh can he take credit for NAFTA? Absolutely. Yeah, he can take credit. So can the cons- so can the Democrats though. So they're going to be pulling that blanket yeah. from each right. other, right? To 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 see who has more credit for the trade deal anyway with the Canadians. Uh Tonda, it was interesting to yeah, see
0: taking, that. Take, Go ahead, David.
1: Taking credit for this trade deal is just taking advantage of public um ignorance. Um, beca- the trade deal is, is, is nothing. It's less than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the smallest trade deal in the history of the world. Uh, people have evaluated it. Um, uh, the IMF and others have pointed out the main effect of uh, NAFTA two is going to, to be to shrink Trade because it in- allows increasing uh, protectionism in the U.S. automobile industry. Its effects are described by the IMF as negligible, um, and to the extent and to the extent that you can measure them, they're probably net harmful for the American consumer because automobile prices will be a little higher. All Trump did was take somebody else's homework, um, rip the rip the cover off, mm-hmm. put his own name on it, and spill a little ink so it's dirtier and grimier than the first version Never, of the deal. N-
11: nevertheless, uh, while it may not be momentous for the U.S. consumers, for Canadian supply chains for the Canadian economy, for Canadian businesses and industry, it uh, uh, relieves a lot of uncertainty around the economic future in this country. And I think, by and large, business and industry here are welcoming it. And so who gets credit for that? Well, in this country, Trudeau will take credit for it. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, just to look at... The U.S. and the polarized climate there, the climate here is not that polarized. And I think what you can expect to see is these conservatives in this country will get on board with the trade deal eventually.
0: All right. I want to move to China. Craig, I'll start with you and then David. Uh, the U.S. is signing some kind of trade deal with China, not the whole enchilada. Meanwhile, Canada has got the one-year anniversary of the two Michaels, Michael Spavor Uh, and Michael Kovrig, who have been in a prison for over a year in China. Is it time for Justin Trudeau, knowing that Donald Trump's dealing with the Chinese, to take a different,
10: maybe a harder stance with China? We we all know that, and I can never forget, that Trump said early on, uh, I I may let her go, but she's a... I'm talking about Madam Meng, who's sitting in her multi-million dollar mansion in Vancouver, enjoying life. Uh, He said she's a bargaining chip. Mm. Uh, and, And I wonder whether or not she might get released on the basis of this deal now that the bargaining chip isn't needed anymore. Uh, I hate to sound cynical about global politics, but maybe that's what this is all about.
0: David, uh, I mean, the U.S. is dealing with China. I just, you you watching this closely yeah. on trade. Meantime, we've got two Canadians in essentially what the U.N. might describe as torture conditions there. The lights are already on. They can't read. Yeah. Totally different than Meng Wanzhou. is it time for Justin Trudeau to uh, maybe take a different stance on China?
1: As with, as with NAFTA 2.0, what, what Donald Trump did with China was he began punching himself in the face. And he said to the Chinese, what will you pay me to stop punching myself in the face? And and after t- after two years the Chinese say, you're free to stop punching yourself in the face anytime you want to. And, and he said, okay, just before Christmas I'm going to stop punching myself in the face. The deal restores exactly the status quo that was there on Inauguration Day of 2017, it achieves nothing. Um, And the claim, the one thing that's in the the deal that is slightly new are new promises from the Chinese to buy American agricultural products. But that's because China is in the middle of an epidemic of swine flu that has killed half the pigs in the country. So of course they're going to buy more uh, product from around the rest of the world. Trump gave nothing, got nothing and all, and many of the tariffs are going to remain in place. Um, he's just trying to avoid uh, increases on toys and gifts just before the price of cr- just before Christmas arrives. Joyce.
3: Yes, but you know what? Uh, he's going to that's a winner for him. It doesn't matter. I mean, David just said he's taking advantage of the lack of knowledge of the American people. Well, he's going to take credit for that and everybody's going to think it's a win. And it's a political win. If what about think Canada on
0: China though? Does, does, they're making we're, deals there or or you've going to middle. I mean, we
3: do have two gentlemen who are prisoners there. What do you do when the, the Chinese have a gun to your head? And because that's really what it is. Um, how, how hard should you go on them? and you know what risk are you taking it's it, it is a moral and existential question and i don't think i have or anybody at this table has the answer for that if they squeeze the chinese what happens to the
10: two canadian prisoners i don't believe the americans will drop the extradition that would and be then, a and perfect ending and then the ending. two canadians but will I mean, be quickly it's, put it's, through a trial it's such a moral, convicted and sent home
3: it's well, a moral question may, maybe possible. but is this
0: the world we want to live in when china doesn't like some an extradition treaty and the, they'll be able to pluck canadians off and then no one's doing anything or just Justin but it was ever
11: thus I mean, China's uh, economic might has grown, and countries around the world, uh, are unless they, unle- are, are cowering and, and unless they work together as allies to in a multilateral fashion, and if the U.S. doesn't get on board with some of that, there's very little leverage they have. I mean, China has built, is building its Belt and Road Initiative across continents. It's uh, being in a position now to exert pressure on all kinds of smaller countries. And so and I, don't think, I don't think there's tried, a solution. has tried
0: to rally allies, and it's not working. All right, last word on that. David, any last word on the rise of China? How do, the U.S. has one yeah. alternative. What about Canada?
1: Canada's only alternative is to appease China. Uh, in a world in which the united states has um, uh, abdicated from leadership uh, canada just doesn't have the clout um, china is as 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 big or nearly as big an economy as the united states it's canada can't put pressure on china china can put pressure on canada, canada uh, we used allies. to have a concept called we used to have a concept called collective security but yeah. that was all dependent on the united states being at the center and so long as you have an american president who will not accept um, the obligations of American leadership, collective security falls apart, and everyone, Canada, everybody, Germany even, um, are at the mercy of the strongest player, which is China.
0: All right, I, I got to leave it there, uh, Tonda, Joyce, Craig, and David. But just before we go, uh, a word. On Friday, our dear friend Craig announced that after five mm-hmm. decades of extraordinary journalism, he is going to well semi-retire. Don't worry, he'll still appear at uh, times right here on CTV's Question Period. Craig is a giant of journalism. He's hardworking, no BS reporter, a mentor to many of us, a generous man with a poet's heart, who along with so many I'm honoured to call a dear friend. Some people in this town are loved, some are respected. Craig has managed the rare trick of being both. Craig, my friend, to you we say words from your long-memorised friend, poet, Lord Alfred Tennyson, though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts made weak by time and fate, but strong in will, and you know the end, to strive to seek, Some to work find. A
10: noble note may yet be done, but probably not by me. <laughs> and <laughs> not, you anyway.
0: and yeah. not to yield yeah. to my friend Craig. And thanks all of you for watching. We'll be back here in seven short days. Take good care.